Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, his ward cost is 10 billion mana. It's Matt Morgan. So we all know that 6 was afraid of 7 because 7, 8, 9. But 7 was scared too for 6, 8, 10. <laughs> That's, um... I'm an English major, Matt, so that joke went right over my head. Math is for uh, blockers, a, Matt. Math is for <laughs> blockers, yes, and Joey's not blocking. I'm definitely not. Next, you heard him already. His ward cost is Joey has to exile his graveyard to target me, which basically means that he always has hexproof. It's Dana Roach. Um, so we just have finished up previous season where we got an entire set of Mystic Archives. We got a complete standard set from Strixhaven and five commander decks in like a 12-day window so I am ready to take the rest of the year off. I think we're all finished, and we're just going to coast the rest of the way, I think. Um, no? Is there more Dana, stuff? Is there I more have, stuff coming? Th- there's there's some other stuff. Um, I, I have some bad news that is also good news because there's more magic cards coming. <laughs> but not immediately, right? Like, not in the next, like, three to four weeks. Certainly We'll get not. back to you on that. We'll get <laughs> yeah, back to you on that. That, that is to be determined. <laughs> Anyway, uh, before we break Dana's heart about the number of set reviews that are going to exist in Magic content for a while, let's get to it. This is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the Commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all that data a little more context. Hey, Matt, what are we talking about in this week's episode? So last week we talked about the most parasitic commanders, commanders that use a lot of cards from their own sets. We're going to do the antithesis of that idea. We're going to talk about cards, or commanders I should say, that aren't using very many cards at all from the sets they originate in. Yeah, so the least parasitic commanders, the most set independent, the most self-sufficient. Atraxa, play Kelly Clarkson's Miss Independent for for the room. Those are the types of commanders that we're going for here. That's such a jam. That's That's... (laughs) I'm proud of you, Joey. I should have expected I, it, but I love that. That's a, oh. I, I'm glad that you're proud of me because all of our listeners are not. But <laughs> it will be a really fun show for us to talk about these commanders that don't play cards from their own sets and what the reasons for that might be. However, before we get to that part of the show, let's take a quick break and give a huge thanks to the folks at the Command Zone podcast. They handle all the post-production work on our show here, making it look as awesome as it does. And of course, we would be remiss if we didn't thank our sponsors for the show, too. Yeah, the EDH RecCast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player. Card Kingdom has the deepest buy list online and a stacked inventory to boot, so whatever sweet Strixhaven card you want, they will probably have it. Uh, similarly, our other sponsor, TCG Player, has whatever cool Commander 2021 release you're looking to add to your decks. Just go to EDH Rec and click on the card in question, choose vendor link down below, and doing that supports both the site and the show. And if you'd prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. We have tiers of all sorts of levels, whether you want to join the Discord we have going on, or you want some Patreon-exclusive content. We have some of that rolling out very, very soon. In fact, we have some pretty cool content coming down the pipeline specifically for patrons. So if you want to tune in for any of that, head over to patreon.com slash EDHRecCast to get all of the great content that we have going on over there. And we even have a special tier where we thank a patron every single week just for their support. So this week, we do want to give a very special shout out to Diego Gomez. Thank you so much, Diego. You definitely go. Diego, go. Um, (laughs) Thank you for the support. Yeah, thank you very much, Diego. We appreciate the support. We're also streaming on twitch.tv slash EDHRecCast every Wednesday night at 6 Pacific, 9 Eastern. And this week we'll be playing with Twitch streamer Unicorn Fluff. So tune in and watch some fantastic games. 
Twitch.tv/slash/idiotrekcast. Yeah, this is so awesome. There's so much going on for us. But for the sake of this episode, we're going to get back to that topic about the least parasitic commanders, the most set independent commanders. I think I'm going to lean towards saying set independent instead of parasitic because we all know what happened last episode when we started trying to say parasit parasiticism. Parasiticity. And, and it didn't work out well. So the, the commanders that are very, very detached from the cards from their own set, they're not leaning on any of those in their average decks basically at all. And so that is sort of how we measured this particular uh, data here is that we took a look at the average deck for each commander and then measured how many cards from their own set were showing up in those average decks. Specifically, as is kind of typical with our data here as well, we're not going to be counting any commanders that have 100 decks or less. That's pretty typical for us, but it's another thing that we want to make sure that we mention. And to also give a bit of a baseline about where things are. Remember from last episode, we saw that the average number of cards that a commander is playing in its average deck, it tends to be Pi, which I just want to repeat again, because I think that that's really magical, is that the typical commander plays 3.14 cards from its own set. And that will give some context to where we're going in this episode. But guys, I just want to talk about Pi some more. I might be hungry. I'm just annoyed that you are so tickled by this 3.14 average number, but you didn't like my math joke earlier in the show. There's way too many math jokes already happening in this show. I think we just need to move on. Very, very much. So yes, in this one, to compare against those, you know, the commanders that were playing like an average of three, here we're going to be talking about ones that have very, very few, like one or zero. So Dana, how about you just get us right to it? Tell us all about all of the commanders that only play like one or zero cards from the set that they originated in. Go on. Tell us all about all of them. There are 130 commanders that use zero cards from their own set. So number one... We have Abishan, Suffolk Emperor. Number two, <laughs> Dana. Adamaro, First to Desire. <laughs> Number three, Adam Oakenshield. Number, just, just bear with me. There's only 127 more to go. Number uh, four. D- d- Matt, we might need to take control of the store. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is that there's a lot, and if we were to try to go through all of them, we'd be yes, here. Yes, no, that's, that list isn't doable. However, the commanders that only have one card. Um, from the set yes. they were in, that is more manageable. That's 136. So that no, list, no, 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 list, no, no, Dana, stop. <laughs> Just, okay, here I'll say Paris is okay. more often to make you stop. Okay, so that's a lot. So we can't go through all of those. That's that's so many. Well, I know this sounds unheard of, but I'm going to shut down this nonsense real quick. <laughs> Uh, For the sake of us actually getting through this show. So we do need to lay some more ground rules, as is tradition. Um, We do need to point out that we're only going to talk about the commanders that have at least a thousand decks to their name. And these all are going to be commanders that are using zero cards from the set they originated in. So we are going to have a little bit of a cutoff because obviously we don't have time to talk about 236 commanders, 266. What was it? A lot of commanders that Dana would probably love to talk about because nobody's heard of them. But we're going to just set the set the ground rules, thousand decks or more. Yes. And there is also actually one other caveat that we have to do here, too. And that's that we kind of can't, for the sake of this, to keep the data as interesting as possible for people to actually find the good stuff here. We are not going to be counting any of the commanders that come from a really small set either, such as a precon. So as much as we love Yuriko Tiger Shadow, and it's interesting that she's not playing any cards from the set that she originated in, too. It's kind of like, well, yeah, of course she not. Like, she, the, there weren't any other ninjas in the Aminatu deck, so of course there wouldn't be. Like, that, that's kind of an easy one. And 
another thing about that list of all those things is that most precon commanders don't tend to play stuff that came in their average precon. So like to include them would just be kind of a wash. So yes, Matt, we are going to do that. You know, it has to have a thousand decks or more, but we're also not going to include small sets like precons or even stuff like jumpstart because that just wouldn't quite be fair since they don't have as much of a pool as a regular standard issued set. Yeah, it turns out if a commander only has 50 eligible cards and they're only playing two of them, that's not that interesting of a conversation because there's there's nothing to pick from. Exactly. So let's get to it now. We're not going to do the top 10 because we do have a few more to talk about here. We are going to go through 16 different commanders that have a thousand decks or more to the name and which all play zero cards that also were printed in their own original set in their average deck. Dana, start us off. Don't talk about Abishan or whatever those other <laughs> things are. Let's go with this list. What are some commanders that play zero cards from their own set? So at number 16, the first one we're going to talk about here is Marwyn the Nurturer from back in Dominaria. Uh, two and a green for an elf druid. Whenever another elf enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on Marwyn, and you can tap her to add an amount of green mana to your mana pool equal to Marwyn's power. So no cards from the Dominaria set in Marwyn decks, which makes sense when you look at Dominaria and see there's only three elves in the entire <laughs> set. And this is a commander that very much cares about elves. Yeah, like Dominaria, despite all of the stuff that it had going on, doesn't actually have a whole lot of elvish tribal support to help out this commander in the ways that it could help out all of the other what was it, 40 commanders that were in that set? So this one happened to just not be as supported because of how big that set is. Well, and a really funny observation about this too is on last week's episode, we talked about how all the parasitic and you know the high parasophisticities, whatever that <laughs> whatever that word that we made up is, the commanders that ranked very high on that list, uh, they all came from tribal heavy sets. And we mm -hmm. you know you make a tribal heavy commander, you expect to see a lot of support around it. That is not the case with Marwin the Nurturer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's just not nearly as much that can happen for her, be probably because of how much else was going on in that set. But yeah, that is really interesting to get a good parasitic quote unquote commander. It does have to have the right setting and support and Dominaria didn't happen to have that for Marwyn. Let's move now to number 15. We're going into some completely different colors. Matt, I know that you love green, but we are going to move to Esper now. At 15, we have Sen Triplets. This is a five mana artifact commander from Alara Reborn, a 3-3 human wizard that at the beginning of your upkeep, you can choose target opponent. And then this turn, that player can't play spells or activated abilities and they play with their hand revealed. And then you can play cards from that player hand to this turn so you get to steal from your opponents this is a really really fascinating one and i bet that if we had done this report a while ago centriplets might have seen some hits that came from alara reborn in its average deck but as it is now the scape of esper artifacts has just changed so much that the centriplets now gets to be way more controlling than it is ever focused on artifacts as a base in its deck yeah it's probably playing a healthy amount of cards from alpha beta with wrath of god and counterspell and all these heavy <laughs> control aspects um i don't know how many people are probably probably playing a centripolis artifact heavy deck it's they're they're playing probably just straight control um it's one of the probably the more salty if i remember um looking back to our salt <laughs> list uh, episodes a few uh, months ago centripolis was pretty high up on the list so it wouldn't surprise me just not a lot of people are even playing centripolis anymore but obviously 1300 decks um Quite a few people still are, I guess. Well, what's really interesting here is we're looking at two cases back-to-back -back that are kind of the polar opposite. You have Marwyn, who specifically wants elves and was in a set without many elves. So, like, there's a really obvious um, focused build path there, and the set she was in just didn't provide those cards. Send Triplets, on the other hand, has a very specific ability, 
but it's not asking you to necessarily run any support cards that that really help like support that ability. So you mm-hmm. just run whatever is going to support the way you want to play. And that isn't necessarily at all married to the set it's from. Yeah, no. And the set that it's from is doing so many Esper creature artifacts. All of the stuff is based around artifacts, artifacts, energy, artifacts, energy, that when you start moving to a control deck, those things just probably kind of fall off, especially because you can play those things in plenty of other Esper artifact commander decks now, especially stuff like Sharoom, which came from the same block, even if it wasn't from the same set. So this is a commander that's experienced some growth because it did, it used to adhere a lot to the Esper artifact stuff that was going on from its set, but it's broken free of that. And now it just doesn't have as much that's going along this salty control route that it's able to stir up anymore, which gives it a bit more independence from what was going on in Alara Reborn. And I think that's cool. Well, moving on to number 14, let's get away from Esper colors because nobody plays those colors anyways. <laughs> let's move on to good things. That is red-green. Um, so coming in number 14, we have Xenagos God of Revels, which is uh, three in gruel colors, so red and a green. For 6-5 legendary enchantment god uh, is indestructible. It has that Theros God clause as long as your devotion to red and green is less than seven. It's not a creature. But the important part here is the ability that at the beginning of combat on your turn, another target creature you control gains plus X plus X until end of turn where X is that creature's power. So you see a lot of just big, green, stompy, good things that everyone does love. Um, I know we do. (laughs) The numbers are here to support it. Um, The bad thing about it is Born of the Gods didn't really have a lot of big, stompy creatures in that set. So you're seeing a lot of cards in the Xenagos deck that just happen to be you know, creatures that fall into what Xenagos wants to be doing that didn't really come from Born of the Gods. Yeah, you want to play like huge six mana 2020s or something that Xenagos can just pump up to hit just one shot a player with a single creature. Or even I think there were some uh, players using infect cards that were just a 5-5 five, five with infect that Xenagos can pump up to a 10 lethal. All good things. None of that. All good things. <laughs> So none of that is something that was supported by Born of the Gods. In fact, the only big creatures that existed in Born of the Gods were like the other gods <laughs> or uh, stuff like stuff that had that tribute mechanic, which no one really wants to have to deal with. So Xenagos has some regular good, nice creatures, but not as big of creatures of, as we've come to expect in Commander. Well, and I've played against, you know, a half a dozen different Xenagos decks over the years, and I don't know if they've ever been remotely close to the same deck at any of those times. You know, it's been like, here's my Xenagos Werewolves deck, and here's my Xenagos Dinosaurs deck, and someone built dragons, and someone just built generics stompy stuff or beasts or whatever it's just a really good wild card commander if you want to play some kind of stompy tribe in gruel colors and it's not suggesting you go any one particular way so it's just really really open-ended and the way people pick that if they build with a tribe there's definitely no tribes in born of the gods it's suggesting you build so it's just really very much um the wild wild west in terms of how you build that deck it's it's really weird that all the biggest creatures in the Theros block, just to begin with, aren't even in red and green. They're all sea monsters like Krakens and everything. <laughs> so they're blue, so you can't even play the biggest creatures from the block even in a Xenagos deck because they just don't fulfill the color identity. Very, very much. That's really funny. All right, let's head to number 13. We're talking about Kanan Bonder Prodigy. This is the Simic commander from Ikoria, a two mana, two, two human druid that says whenever you tap a non-lane permanent for mana, you get extra mana this way. And it has a mana outlet by paying seven mana to look at the top five cards of your library and getting non-humans from among them and just putting them straight into play because, you know, 
that's what Simic can do. Simic is just good at doing Simic things about making extra mana and getting a bunch of other free stuff. Bizarrely, despite the fact that in our last episode, we saw that Ikoria had a ton of parasitic commanders, Kinnon shows up as one of the least parasitic commanders. There's just nothing that Kinnon is interested in playing from Ikoria in the average Kinnon deck. Well, the average mana dork and mana rock that came in Ikoria either were three colors or just weren't that efficient. Uh, Kinnon's playing mm-hmm. a bunch of Llanowar elves and Findhorn elves and LV elves. Uh, and soul rings so it's just like uh, loading up on the most efficient because this is as far as power level goes kinnon is probably towards you know the the upper echelons of that mm-hmm. so playing inefficient creatures just to capitalize because you want to play stuff from akoria isn't really what the typical kinnon is kinnon player is looking to do yeah there's just too many mutants in that set to even have room for a bunch of mana dorks to support this one well if we want yeah. to talk about situations where there's not enough room We'll look at our next commander here in the list, which is Phoenix, God of Deception. Um, Phoenix is a god from Born of the Gods and winds up oftentimes being a mill commander. So um, the way Phoenix works is creatures you control uh, tap to have a player put X cards from his or her library into the graveyard where X is that creature's toughness. Um, you know, Born of the Gods was also a small set, so it didn't have that many cards in it anyway. But we're looking at a Theros block with 15 different gods, all of which they tried to make unique from one another, which meant there was really no way to actually bake in support cards in that set necessarily either. Phoenix is just an example of that, kind of like Xenagos, where it does a very specific thing. It, there just was no room to have those cards that support that in the set, so you've had to pick and choose from other sets to find ways to actually utilize Phoenix. Yeah, well, it, and Phoenix kind of requires a lot of creatures with big toughness, so you see a lot of walls, um, wall tribal almost type of cards, and there aren't just aren't very many walls in you know Born of the Gods that happen to come you know in those color identities. All right, so we're going to move to our next commander here. Y'all, we are talking about Sliver Overlord in our number 11 slot. That, of course, being the famous 5-mana 7-7 Sliver that can go tutor up other Slivers for you and which can go gain control of other Slivers. This one came from the Scourge set. And, man, Slivers are, again, such a good tribe. You'd totally expect that this commander would be playing other Slivers from its same set, right? Well, that's what I thought until I realized how many slivers there are that came in the Scourge set where this was originally printed. I I would guess if I had to, at least double digits. Yes, well, that that would have been my guess as well, but I feel like you're going to surprise us. Yeah, there aren't any other slivers in Scourge. This is the only one. No, no slivers in Scourge. This is a very out of place kind of commander. There's no other slivers for it to be doing stuff with. You you might say that this set is the Scourge of every... Sliver Overlord's deck. <laughs> Your dad flat. jokes are supposed to be relegated to the and beginning really, of the episode, I missed, mister. <laughs> I missed the mark in a big way. So yeah, a, a pretty easy one to solve there. Just a very commander out of place for sure for this one. But I thought it was really, really funny. You do use Sliver Overlord. I'm glad that you found help in other sets. Well, a commander that also didn't really get any help, but we for less specific reasons, I should say, from its own set, is going to be the Locust God. That's the next commander that we're going to talk about on the list. Um, Coming at number 10, uh, the Locust God is four in Izzet colors, so a blue and a red for a 4-4 legendary god with flying, and has the ability whenever you draw a card, you create a 1-1 blue and red insect creature token with flying in haste. Then you can pay two in Izzet colors to draw a card and discard a card, and then it has the Amonkhet uh, God 
clause whenever when the locust god dies you return it to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step so this deck wants to be doing a lot of extra card drawing we see a lot of looting actually going on here um, but there's not a lot of extra card drawing at least not something that's going to be really efficient there is a, an aftermath uh, wheel card that was from Amonkhet but Locust got originated in Hour of Devastation, so we don't actually see that showing up. Yeah, it's just an example where the a commander is asking for a really specific build path here, and it just wasn't supported in that standard set at all. Yeah, not the type of set that we're going to see a bunch of wheels. And, and frankly, I actually think that this is kind of a good thing that Locust God wasn't super supported by its own set, because... It didn't need more support. Wheels is a very well-established archetype by this point. Well, and, and having the ability to, in the limited format, in the standard format, I know we don't care about that too much, but ha being able to activate the loot effect on Locust God itself, that probably was more than enough to be getting all sorts of triggers. At number nine on our list, we have Nicol Bolas the Ravager from back in M19. Um, Nicol Bolas is a dragon with flying, and when he ETBs, an opponent, each opponent discards a card. And you can also spend seven mana and exile Nicol Bolas Ravager and have him return to the battlefield flipped as a planeswalker, Nicol Bolas the Risen. Um, so this card isn't suggesting any specific build path that doesn't have cards in that set necessarily. It's just everyone wound up building this as their Nickel Bolas tribal deck with every Nickel Bolas Planeswalker in it, <laughs> none of which are in M19, obviously. Well, that's so strange to me, honestly. Like, I feel like M19 would have been full of a whole bunch of allusions to Nickel Bolas that then could have showed up in the set. Like, oh, he's in this piece of artwork or something like that. But it just doesn't seem to really be the case. So he doesn't have a bunch from M19 to support him in your Nickel Bolas tribal builds. Yeah, people wound up going back and finding previous sets that had cards with Nickel Bolas references in them. But it was very much a set focus on all of the Elder Dragons. There wasn't specific mm -hmm. focus given to Bolas, so there was just nothing from the set that lent itself to that Bolas tribal deck. Yeah, such a curious case for this one. Oh, Darn. Darn, Matt Darn. <laughs> the, well, I mean, I, I, it is funny. Like, If there is any original Elder Dragon that has a higher loyalty than Nicol Bolas, and I get it. He's very, um, very demanding. He's very... Uh, commandeering of your attention so i get it i get it <laughs> just it doesn't sound like you're much of a nickel bullis fan you seem like the slesnia guy who's on team a johnny in this fight instead he is he is every color i am not yes that's <laughs> there it is <laughs> you, we got to the bottom you got me all right okay guys we are halfway through our list we've got a top eight coming but real quick let's pause for a moment and move to our favorite segment on the show challenge the stats this is just one of our favorite things to do on the show because there's so much data on EDHREC. But real quick, we have a new twist. We've got another announcement that we want to pause and give some weight to here, too. Yeah, we are very happy, actually, to announce that Altersleeves.com is one of our new sponsors who are going to come on and they're sponsoring the uh, the Challenge of Stats segment, as it were. We're super excited. Um, head over to altersleeves.com slash EDHRETCAST. Uh, that is the way that you can support the show, and you can buy the altar sleeves that you want. Altar sleeves is an awesome resource if you want to get altars of any card done, but you don't actually want to mark up the card itself. Altar sleeves is an amazing alternative option. Yeah, it can even be as simple as just a new frame around the card, or it can completely change the art. Whatever you want, there's a gazillion different options there for it. 
Yeah, these things are so cool. If you follow our stream, twitch.tv slash EDHRECcast, you may have seen us playing with some Alter Sleeves already. They're such a cool product that we really, really enjoy. So if you want to support the show, this is one more way to do it. And you get some really fancy looking stuff too. Yeah, we are, we are just, we're super excited about this new partnership. Uh, it's just going to be something very, very cool that you can see on our streams and take it to your own games at home. So just as a reminder, click on the you know, link in the show notes just or go to altersleeves.com slash EDHRECcast and you can support the show and get those sweet alter sleeves at the same time. All right, fellas, now we're going to head into challenge the stats. Dana, start us off this week. What data on Idiotrek are you challenging? I am going to challenge um, a very old enchantment that did, however, just have a recent reprint in Double Masters, and that is the uh, black enchantment Obliute, I believe it's pronounced. <laughs> um, <laughs> Something along I, I, those I lines. I think it's Obliute. That's it's, it's okay. Got, it's got the accent on the E. You might well be right. I have no clue. Regardless, <laughs> goodness, it is goodness. an enchantment for a uh, uh, one and black black. When Abliute enters <laughs> oh, battlefield, <laughs> target creature phases out until it leaves the battlefield, and you tap that creature when it phases back in. As part of the phasing, any ores and equipment phase out with it, and they're treated as if they didn't exist. So this is currently in 1,700 decks. It's a very cheap card. It's like 40 cents right now. Um, the beauty of it is it just gets rid of commanders. This, is, this isn't like an Oblivion Ring effect where the thing gets exiled and you can just opt to move it to your command zone. It's phased out. It's gone. If you hit a commander with this enchantment, it is unusable until the person deals with it and removes the enchantment. Additionally, they can't just save that sword or those lightning greaves by moving them to something else while the commander's tapped down. It's gone along with those those pieces of equipment as well. Um, and there's multiple commanders in black that care about enchantments. Gen Arcanum Weaver cares about enchantments. Alila, Artful Provocateur, and Dax was returned. And mm -hmm. it's in a percentage of those decks. Five in Gen's case, two in Alela, and one in Daxos. For a commander that's for, for a card that's that effective at just eliminating a really troublesome commander, in a deck where you get an added bonus from playing enchantments, it should see way more play considering how effective it is. I feel compelled to make sure that listeners know it's not obliette; it is oubliette. It is we, we, oubliette, <laughs> which is which is not what did, I said either. So, did you not know what it was actually? I did not. Oh my goodness. This is such an educational segment. <laughs> Dana now being outed as a person who doesn't yeah. watch Prof's Telerian Community College's yeah, content. I, was gonna say I, I clearly missed that one. Prof is just livid with you right now. But it is a great <laughs> card. I, I was busy buying a few because I totally <laughs> forgot this card existed. Um, this is a really good call. I love that. We should have just let Dana continue saying it. It would have been his version of parasitism. I, I thought he was joking the entire to, time. I would have got it wrong every time. <laughs> All right, Matt, take us to your challenge. I, I got to recover a second here, but um, I, I, yeah, okay. Uh, so my challenge this week, um, I was looking at AC Tyrant of Gyre Straits. It's the precon commander that came out with the uh, Zendikar Rising uh, precon decks, the, the Simic commander that does all the busted landfall things. And by mm -hmm. all the busted landfall things, I mean all the busted landfall things. Every single one. All of them. Um, but I was looking at one. the pre-con tool because I was kind of curious, what are people adding in? What are people taking out? And kind of compare my list with what everybody else is doing. And I saw that 33% of decks are cutting Colney Heart Expedition. I think that is 
That is such a silly idea. Um, so Colony Heart Expedition is one in a green for an enchantment that has a landfall ability. Uh, whenever a land enters the battlefield, you put a quest counter on uh, Colony Heart Expedition. And then when it has three counters on it, you can sacrifice it and search your library for up to two basic lands, put them on the battlefield tapped. Um, it is not hard at all in any given AC Tyrant of Gyre Straits deck to play this on turn two and crack it on turn three. If you play any sort of fetch lands, uh, you play a ramp spell, you have all sorts of different options to be able to bust this open. And it just it's a very explosive play on early turns or even later in the game. If you have AC out and you happen to have three counters on this, it turns into ramp two and draw two cards. It's such an effective card at pretty much any given stage of the game when you have AC out. And AC, I mean, it doesn't matter if you have to recast her because all you're doing is ramping anyways. So this card is just, it's so good. Seeing that it's being cut from 33% of the precons, um, I just, I really think that number is too high. I think people really want to be keeping this in because it's, it is an explosive card to say the least. Landfall's so insane with that commander. So yeah, yeah. that is a, a really good way to go keep that ram spell for sure. And um, Matt, it's fortuitous that your card would be Simic because the challenge that I'm going to do is also for a Simic commander. Potentially one that's less busted, but, you know, it's Simic, so who can ever really tell? Our listener submitted challenge this week comes from user Crab Baskets. Hi, Crab Baskets. Thanks so much for supporting us on twitch.tv slash idiotrekcast as well. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, Crab Baskets has a really cool suggestion here mentioning Vorel of the whole clade decks, especially new ones that have been built, don't seem yet to be including the card Lithoform Engine, which allows you to copy activated abilities of your creatures. Vorel of the whole clade famously can double the number of counters on some of your permanents. And when you get to do that twice, as is the case that Lithoform Engine would be able to do, you're not just doubling the number of counters on a permanent, you're quadrupling the number of counters on a permanent. So suddenly things like Darksteel Reactor or Simic Ascendancy, which can maybe be a little bit tough in some cases to get a whole bunch of counters on very quickly, that is the type of effect that is going to make it very, very easy for you to just take off with those things. Lithoform Engine is a little bit expensive, which is probably the reason that this inclusion hasn't been a whole lot just yet, but Crab Baskets is definitely right to point out this is a very awesome synergy that if you're playing Varel, you should definitely be taking advantage of. All right, fellow. So now we're going to go back to our least parasitic commanders, our most set independent commanders. That sounds a lot better. We're down to our top eight now. Dana, do you want to get us back into this by talking about the number eight commander that uses just no cards from the same set that it was originally printed in? What do we got at number eight? The number eight commander here is Alesha who smiles at death. The uh, three mana commander, first strike for a three, two. When Alesha who smiles at death attacks, you may pay uh, Orzov Orzov, so some combination of white and black mana. And if you do, you return target creature card with power two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, tapped and attacking. So this is a situation, you know, not dissimilar to Marwin earlier, where Marwin was asking for elves, and it was a set that didn't have them. In this case, Alesha's asking for low CMC creatures. There's probably, you know, clearly some that were in that set, but like when you look throughout Magic's history, odds are you're just going to find more uh, cards that fit that bill in other sets. The the odds are just higher you're going to find good ones. So it's just worked out. People have filled that deck with low CMC creatures from elsewhere. To quickly clarify, you're saying CMC, but she actually cares about low power creatures. Power, yes. CMC. Well, but the exact thing that she's doing on her page most often, as we've seen, is actually she's up to quite a lot of combo stuff going on over there. Like Murderous Redcap and Anna Fenza, the Kintree Spirit, the mono-white version. Like, 
there's a, a lot of combo that she's able to pull off with those tiny creatures or with stuff like Revelart getting back a Karmic Guide. There's so much of that tiny power combo that she's up to that she ain't got room for anything else that came from Favor Forged. Yeah, or you, you see weird creatures that have a zero power in there, but when they come into play, you put counters on them, do things of that nature, so you can kind of circumvent the the low power requirements as well. And again, you're, those are just scattered everywhere, not just in this one set. Mm-hmm. See, I, I remember when I had an Alicia who smiles at Death Deck, and I thought New Scraft Mob was like a very underground type of card. Turns out everyone's playing New Scraft Mob, <laughs> yes, so <yes. laughs> I... Uh, I thought I was being clever, but turns out I am not. All right, Matt, take us to number seven. Who do we got coming up next? Does it have more to do with graveyards? Because that would just make my day. Um, it doesn't. And actually, number seven uh, doesn't exist, and we've never heard of this <laughs> card at all. Um, but really, number seven uh, coming in is the Gitrog Monster, who is all about graveyards and land and death and land death and everything that Joey loves about the game of Commander. So mm-hmm. Gitrog is three and green-black which is the Golgari clan, or guild, I should say, excuse me. Um, um, it's called Witherbloom now. How dare you? <laughs> I, Harry Potter world. What it, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm being entirely facetious. I agree with you, Matt. Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, so the Gitrog monster, three green, black for six, six, frog horror, a froror, if you will. Um, with Death Touch, which it, that's what everybody likes to do. It's a Death Touch tribal deck. Only not really, because at the beginning of your upkeep, you sacrifice the Gitrog monster unless you sacrifice a land, which is cool because you can play an additional land on each of your turns, and whenever one or more lands is put into your graveyard from anywhere, you draw a card. And turns out this card is just a combo machine, and Shadows of Innistrad just had no combo machine parts, so they're not really playing anything from that set because... Everything with a land death just isn't really supported from that set. I will never be able to get over you calling it the Froer. The Froer, <laughs> <The> <laughs> yeah. Was, that was terrific. Yeah, Shadows of Innistrad actually contained really excellent landfall cards and even landfall get back out of the graveyard cards. Like, like Tireless Tracker came in Shadows of Innistrad. And Gitfrog's not even running that. And that's how tuned up and optimized this commander gets to be. On its surface, looks like it may be doing landfall stuff. It is not doing landfall stuff almost ever. And it's then causing people to just choose a smorgasbord of cards from everywhere, mm-hmm. not Shadows of Innistrad. Yeah. The, the cornucopia of sets that are yes. not SOI. <laughs> Indeed. All right, let's move now to number six. We are going back to Hour of Devastation, actually, because Hour of Devastation also had the Scarab God, and the Scarab God also was not very well supported by its set. This, of course, was the Demir Commander, the God, the 5-5, that can scry and make your opponents lose life when you get zombies, and it can also create tokens out of the graveyard. It pays four mana to rip a creature out of the graveyard and make a zombie token version of it. So it's Reanimator, which is just absolutely the best thing ever, and Hour of Devastation didn't give it enough support, enough stuff to reanimate to turn into zombies, which just, I mean, that means the Hour of Devastation, how dare it? It didn't support the reanimation here enough, and that's just a crime. How could it? How dare it? Well, well, Joey, I would say it's not even so much that it didn't support that. It's just that there's been so much reanimation and zombie stuff printed throughout the years that when you're... (laughs) grabbing the best of it there's just so many good options and it just so happens none of the best ones were in that set mm-hmm. up next here on our list we have joda archmage eternal from back in dominaria um, joda is a three color commander with a five color kind of ability that says you may pay wooberg rather than pay the mana cost for spells that you cast so that's a very specific ability that can be applied to almost everything just full stop 
So this is a commander that you can use kind of as your wild card commander for whatever stuff you want to do in five colors. Yep. Turns out when you, when you can play pretty much anything, um, the world is your oyster as far as what you're going to put in your deck and why be limited to only one set where you can play all the sets and just all the, the big things from all the sets too. Yeah, crucially here, you know, the card Omniscience didn't get printed in Dominaria. It was printed in a completely different core set. So, uh, yeah, that would, that, that, like, this is an Omniscience deck that Jodo loves to cheat out those big 10 mana things, and Dominaria just wasn't full of the Omniscience style things. Well, speaking of Omniscience, um, this commander does not play that card, actually, at least not typically. Um, so that card is going to be Zer the Enchanter coming up next on the list. Uh, so Zer is the one in Esper color, so a blue, a black, and a white for a 1-3 legendary human wizard with flying. And whenever Zer the Enchanter attacks, you may search your library for an enchantment card with converted mana cost three or less, or I should say mana value now of three or less, <laughs> and put it onto the battlefield. Uh, and if you do, you shuffle your library. So Omniscience, like I said, not being played because that's a very expensive card, but you see all sorts of propaganda and ghostly prison type of effects. You're going to see Necropotence to draw all the cards. So you, all you're doing is just finding all of the best enchantments that cost three or less. You're sticking them into this Zer deck. Yeah, this is the type of commander that sort of just like Joda actually really wants you to reach elsewhere. It doesn't like it. It's just like, hey, support me by looking throughout literally all of Magic's history and not just this one place where I was. Because as it turns out, there are just not even a whole lot of targets from Cold Snap that Zerk could go find in the first place. There's only like six enchantments on color that Zer could go find from Cold Snap that have three mana or less. And they are all not good. He wants to go somewhere else that is maybe a little bit warmer for the summer while he can go <laughs> tutor up some enchantments. He wants to go hang out with the uh, next dragon on our list, Arcades the Strategist. Ooh, top three! Yeah, we're, we're now in uh, top three territory. Um, so Arcades the Strategist is a well-known wall commander. And he's uh, banned colors, um, flying, and vigilance. Whenever a creature with defender enters battlefield under your control, draw a card, and creatures you control with defender can attack as if they didn't have it. So it's a deck asking you to play walls, and it just so happened there weren't very many uh, walls or creatures with defender in M19. Yeah, so Dana, I did a little bit of uh, number crunching on this one as well, looking through M19 to see how many defenders could have been in the set that might have helped out Arcades if you were drafting it in Limited, for example. Um, there's there's not a lot that could have possibly helped out this commander. There's only five on-color defenders from M19, and most of them are very bad, like Novice Knight or Suspicious uh -huh. Bookcase. Novice Just Knight is... Commander staple, that novice knight. <laughs> right. Just like they couldn't even have given poor Arcades players a wall of swords in that set. <laughs> I think there was like a wall of mist, but even then Arcades has so many defenders yeah. to choose from that like there wasn't a lot that was going to be supporting it there because this is a very, very specific type of ability to work around, which means you're going to have to look more than just an M19 to get the best defense that you can possibly get. So that's our number three. Matt, who do we got at number two? Number two, we have a Jeskai commander. And if you are a Discord moderator of the EDH Retcast, you probably <laughs> love this commander. Uh, it is Kaikar's Winds Fury, which is the Jeskai commander. One, a red, a white, and a blue um, from Corset 2020 uh, for a 3-3 legendary bird wizard uh, with flying. And whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you create a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying. And you can sacrifice a spirit to add one red mana to your mana pool. 
So obviously, Kaikar wants to be casting all of the creature spells, right? No, all the non-creature spells. Uh, had you pump faked for a little bit there, didn't I, Joey? Uh, I, I'm still getting over the fact that you wanted to point out how our Discord mods will give me a hard time about loving Golgari too much. <laughs> that is true, too. But yeah, it turns out, you know, it's another one of those very open-ended, uh, why limit yourself to Corset 2020 non-creature spells when you have all the non-creature spells from all the sets that are just got colors? Um, there's quite a few of them. Let me just lay a hint there for you, considering there's blue in the commander's <laughs> color identity. Yeah, Kaikar's really, really leaning into some very explosive cards. Impact Tremors, Anointed Procession, things like Jeskai Ascendancy are fantastic, and none of those were found in the set where it was printed. <laughs> yeah, that's a... Uh, I want to be happy for Kaikar because it's clearly broadened its horizons, but also... I don't know, it's Jeskai. Where's the green and black? <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. I don't want this one to be independent. We've been asking our moderators that for years and still haven't gotten a good answer. So, <laughs> well, right, Joey, now may, maybe the last commander will have green and black in it. Maybe. Yes, let's do that now. Let's move to our number one. This is the most popular and the least parasitic commander on this list that we've got. We're taking a look at Sisse, Weatherlight Captain. Doesn't play a single card that also came from Modern Horizons. Sisse, Weatherlight Captain is the three mana 2-2, gets plus one plus one for each color among your other legendary permanents, and you can pay five to go and find legendary permanents from your deck as long as you've got enough power on Sisse herself. This came from Modern Horizons, which has quite a lot of original cards as it turns out. You know, stuff like talismans, stuff like generous gift. But Sisse is not playing any cards in her average deck that originated from Modern Horizons because Modern Horizons only had like eight other legends that she could go and find. And while Urza is really, really nice, you know what's even nicer? Stuff like shrines or planeswalkers, which will just dominate a typical Sisse page. So Urza, you're a little expensive. Move aside. We're going to talk about some shrines for Sisse instead. That's just way more her MO. Well, and those shrines do a thing all unto themselves. Urza, as amazingly powerful as it is, is going to require <laughs> you to build around it in a way that you probably can't take advantage of if you're just tutoring it up with Sisse. Well, and the funny part is that the other most popular commander from Modern Horizons doesn't even satisfy or do anything for Sisse Weatherlight Captain because it's Morph on the Boundless, who is a colorless <laughs> commander. Um, so it, it like there's nothing really to offer in way of legends for Sisse Weatherlight Captain. Like we said, it's just, they're all build arounds or need a lot of support or just are colorless and do literally nothing for Sisse. <laughs> What's fascinating to me too, is that like even the typical support stuff like Mana Rocks, like she's not playing the talismans that originated from Modern Horizons. She's not playing those um, Horizon lands either in her average deck. Like the color demands on this commander have also been like so extensive to support a five color deck that even those really cool effects that you'll see in a lot of other decks as talismans and stuff like that even then she's kind of like i'm gonna need a bit more support than those even though they're really good in two colors i need something that's going to give me a whole bunch of colors because look at all my colors i need to activate that ability reliably yeah it, once this is one of those ones that the, the first time i saw it in this list i was kind of surprised that she wasn't finding a legend to to run from an absolutely stacked set like Modern Horizons, but once you <laughs> once you delved on into it, it does make a lot of sense. She's just so specific. She's specific in that she wants universally good legends, and this that wasn't the set for it. Mm -hmm. All right, so fellows, we just went through a whole bunch of those independent from their own set commanders. 
I just kind of want to take the temperature of the room here after we've gone through all of those because that was quite a lot of data. But was there a through line that you noticed between any of these? Like, Matt, did you happen to catch any similarities between all of those commanders that we talked about that might sort of explain, I don't know, a pattern about why they would be so set independent from all of the other cards that they could be playing from their own original set? Well, it's funny. You either had commanders that were fairly open-ended, so you could draw from literally any set and do almost whatever you wanted with it, like Joda that we saw, or they were super, super specific, like Marwin the Nurturer, and just had zero support within that set. So even though you were doing something that you think would have been fairly well supported, it just wasn't in that set. So like poor Sliver Overlord just couldn't do anything with the Slivers (laughs) in his own set. Yeah, and I would imagine this is the kind of thing that we will see probably more and more moving forward because the vast majority of these cards are from the last couple of years. And I, mm. I would guess that trend is going to continue as they continue to make commanders that kind of do relatively specific things for a commander. And we have more and more sets to choose from. Like the, the, the pool becomes more and more diluted. You know, if a commander came out 15 years ago, you only had X amount of sets to choose from. Odds were mm-hmm. okay. You were going to find some cards from the set it was in. Today, when you can look back and there's, <clears throat> it looks like, like checking the stats, there's been 17 thousand sets looks like they've been printed since the start of magic (laughs) you know odds are your 99 cards aren't going to come from those seventeen thousand sets so i i I want to uh layer that's that's an exact number too joey that's an exact precise number I'm, I'm, I'm trying to move past that, man. That was great. Um, but I do want to add on to something that you mentioned there by actually throwing in one more piece of data here about the independent sets. Specifically, we actually heard the same set come up a couple of times when we were going through those top 16. So I wanted to take a quick note to look through the sets that were they produced the most independent commanders. They had the greatest number of commanders that didn't care about the other cards in their set. And when it comes to those, when we're looking at sets rather than just individual commanders, what we actually have is a tie between Hour of Devastation and Dominaria. Both of those sets produced five commanders that don't play any other cards from either Hour of Devastation or Dominaria. So from Hour of Devastation, for example, we saw stuff like the Scarab God and the Locust God. And then from Dominaria, we also saw stuff like Marwyn and Joda. And there are plenty of other ones there too. But what's interesting to me there is the Dominaria. Dominaria had a lot of commanders that didn't get as much support from the their own from the Dominaria set. And that is what kind of makes me wonder about something that you were just mentioning there, Dana, specifically with regards to the commander avalanche that we've expressed in a previous episode as well, especially with call time having like, what, 30 or 40 commanders? I'm just kind of wondering if this same set independence might be something that we see a whole lot more because of how many commanders we're getting nowadays. And it just will happen to be the case that each of those commanders can't be supported by their set because there's just so much going on for all the commanders that are coming from that set. Eventually, a bunch of them are going to be left out in the cold committing to this avalanche metaphor because there's just not enough in the set to support every single one of them. I think that's a really good observation, Joey. Eventually, we're going to hit this point of diminishing returns as far as how many archetypes can you support in a limited set? How many uh, commanders can you support to be able to be playing all these different cards from their own set when they don't have a dedicated precon, for example? So, yeah, I, I do think that, you know, with the increase in commanders that we are seeing from every given standard legal set, uh, the amount of them that are going to fall into this list is probably going to go up to equal, you know, that that the same rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it just should go to show you how absolutely packed with Legends Dominaria was when a 
elf tribal commander couldn't find elves in the set and an <laughs> angel tribal commander couldn't find angels. Uh, yeah. And, and I feel like that's the kind of thing that we might see yeah. a bit more of going forward. And, and that isn't to say that it's necessarily like a bad mm-hmm. thing. Like being set independent, that's really cool. Having stuff that is too parasitic is sometimes not really helpful. Like we saw last episode when we were talking about mutants. I mean, that's not the kind of thing that we're going to see in just any set. So the open-endedness there, that, that, that can be really useful. But the independence is just a, an interesting contrast that I feel like we might see more of. And we as players will have to figure out how comfortable it is that we feel with all of that. I mean, my, I guess my only thing to add to this conversation as we leave is I'm glad I don't have to say pacifism anymore. Uh, 12 episode, you know, 12 times an episode. <laughs> Are and you trying to say par- parasiticism? <laughs> that too. Um, that too. It's almost as bad as an obliute. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so at, least, are- at least I know that pacifism is a completely separate <laughs> word. Oh, man. Well, I'm glad that listeners know that they can come to us for data, but definitely not for card pronunciations. (laughs) Anyway, fellas, with that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. So if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDHRECCast. This upcoming Wednesday, we have Unicorn Fluffy coming on. Um, We are very excited to have them on, and it's going to be a great time, as always. Um, hopefully we'll cast some oblietes and uh, trap some commanders <laughs> and Dana you can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach you can hear me on the other show every Monday CMDR Central and I'm writing articles for EDH Rec and Commanders Herald you can also find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDH Reccast and I'm Joey Schultz you can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter and you can follow the cast at EDH Reccast on both Facebook and Twitter plus if you have a question you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com our thanks go out once again to the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast and we want to thank our sponsors TCG Player and CardKingdom.com you can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC to show your support for the show and don't forget that we are also now sponsored by Alter Sleeves if you are interested in getting some new art on your cards go to altersleeves.com slash edhretcast and that supports the show too listeners we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights but until then remember edh wreck your deck before you wreck your deck <laughs> <laughs>